Oh, hi. It's Reanimated Podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode 363. We are back talking about The Last of Us. You might be wondering, who are these people who record uh, once a week after the last time? It was like a several week break, but we try to do our best. Uh, We're going to talk about two episodes today, episode six and seven, Kin and Left Behind. Uh, But before we can do that, we do have a smidge of news. Um... There, there is a little bit of news out there, though, frankly, H.A., I'm starting to feel that feeling of this show is more than half over and I'm not sure what's coming up next for us. So we might have to have a little bit of a conversation later. But oh, yeah, sorry. Hey, uh, that's H.A. Conrad. H.A. Conrad is our co-host from New York. Hello. 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 Hello and welcome. And coming at us from the great Northwest is also Kyle Diaz today. Hello, Kyle. Good morning. Wow. It was like a really deep good morning. Dulcet (laughs) gravel tones of Kyle Diaz. Uh, That was like a Tom Tom Waits good morning. I totally approve. Yeah, I try. Well, I'm glad to be here and talking to you guys about The Last of Us today. And to do that, we will be first talking about the news, as I mentioned. So we have a couple of little articles. This first one from Cinema Blend is kind of someone just trying to positively visualize uh, World War Z TV show into creation. I'm all for it. I just don't know that writing articles about it will make it happen. I actually was thinking about this um, before because it just seems that the way that the book is written definitely lends itself to like maybe like an anthology series or something like American Horror Story, which I think they mentioned in here. But I think um, we've said this before. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah. we were both, even before the first film came out, we were both worried that and we were right <laughs> that they didn't they couldn't quite do what the book did and so you know i think and so they didn't even try right <laughs> they didn't they just they just called it world war z and it was something very different yeah. um but i don't know i'd be on board with that i don't know that that writing articles will help but maybe i could see max brooks getting down with this you know it's it's this argument of um will the success of the last of us be able to get people to invest in projects like world war z uh, a limited season a limited series no a, a friend uh is in the business let's say like in um design they were they worked on um loki they've worked on a bunch of the marvel not marvel yeah disney shows and um apparently right now it's there's not a lot of work out there people are calling yeah. around saying like do you know of any projects there's just not a lot of investment capital coming in to to make these expensive shows uh so maybe maybe people are looking at the last of us and saying okay this is worth you know opening up my wallet for or everybody's still just holding their breath for a, a recession that may or may never arrive um, well i mean i think this is the belt tightening that we were talking about before because there had been such I don't know, just sort of a reaction with with streaming and they all expanded so quickly. And I think the numbers were definitely artificially inflated just because everybody was home watching things. Right. Um, and then they had that capital. And I mean, I think also part of it, Kyle, I, I don't like I feel like you, you you may have mentioned this, too, but um, I think that a lot of, you know, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, all these places were um, trying to basically invest in these things, see what stuck. But, you know, that's why I think we saw some some series that ended after a couple of seasons because they just didn't they didn't go as big as they thought they would or whatever. But in some ways it was like, hey, we're, we're competing. We want to have all this content here to draw in, in viewers. 
Um, but that's not sustainable. Um, it's kind of like, you know, you're, and, and we were even like a few of these projects were really big and, and had just so much invested in them, but weren't really in it for the long haul. And I guess you could go with the the sort of BBC model where there's like a very specific timeline you have in mind. Um, like the BBC office was an example of that, but the years and years ago, um, I guess Ted Lasso is another example of that, which they had a very specific, I think they weren't sure if it would go past the first season, but if it did, they were like, it's going to end after three seasons or something like that. And, yeah. Or like Luther, way, which maybe... Luther's first season was four episodes that Idris Elba show. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It might've oh, been yeah, very awesome. niche to London, but the first season was four episodes and they came back and did another one when it turned out that that one was, was popular. And now I think there's like a TV movie of Luther out there. So yeah, I agree though that the BBC or British TV tends to take like a very piecemeal approach. Right. But I think it's also look at the, so they also want to make sure that they're attaching specific, you know, creators and, and actors and, and then that they're so busy that, you know, if you didn't get somebody locked in for X, if you, if you were like, Oh, we're just going to do one season and then you sort of like release them and let them go or whatever, you're not going to be able to sort of make good if the, the thing is successful. So there's a lot of like, sort of, there's a lot of risk in it. Um, but I think that they are now sort of narrowing it down. And, and I mean, I think that's also why we see so many like comic book movies or things based on those kinds of uh, franchises because they do have a built-in audience and a very rabid built-in audience. Um, so those seem like less risky projects because even if they kind of suck, they still have an audience. Uh, <laughs> Fear the Walking Dead. Um, so anyway, like that's, I, I think we're going to see a little bit more of this. I mean, you see the layoffs happening in, you know, the the tech uh, sort of sector and that includes streaming and all those things and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better but I do think that World War Z potentially has that kind of built in fan base. Kyle have you ever read the book? So first of all I definitely agree that there's a, a flood of stuff out there and we're probably coming to a little bit of an end point mm -hmm. here with, with how much that's sustainable I really liked the World War Z book I actually I, at one point I had a signed copy from Max Brooks that I, cause I went to go see him at a reading in, in New York city. Uh, and I, I was very proud of it. Uh, um, but somewhere in the intervening 15 years, I lost it, which is kind of one of my points is I'm not sure that this has the inbuilt appeal that some folks who are really horror nerds think that it does because <laughs> it's been quite a while since the book. Uh, most people do not know world war Z from the book. They know it from the movie and it's, it does not have the, inherent fan base of certainly something like the last of us or even probably something like lockwood and co which is like a more recent series with multiple entries and lots of you know uh teen and, and ya fans um i don't think that there's a big inherent audience here and i think to do the book correctly would be so expensive because <laughs> you need so many sets <laughs> and different locations and actors and things to fill it in um since it is really a series of very small vignettes and it might be a little wearisome that, uh, you know, it, it works on the page cause you're able to just kind of breeze through it, but in TV format without some kind of larger underlying thread or some characters to follow, I'm honestly not totally convinced it would work. So, uh, Anyway, I was I, I I am a big fan of the book. I do think it is 
the most comprehensive view any media property has ever offered of what something like this would actually look like. Um, but I have essentially zero hope of ever seeing it come to screen because I think the logistical hurdles are just too high. Oh, I think they should re-release the book. And I think that there is overlap in the fan base, but I think you're right. I think they would have to tweak the storyline to some extent to have some thread that ties it together, which is not the book, right? Like it's all kind of like these disparate. This is just, well, I guess it's just the, like the one guy kind of gathering these stories. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not exactly, that's not like compelling enough. I don't think. Um, and then the other thing that occurred to me is that you're going to run into some, if you want sort of worldwide appeal, there are definitely a couple of the stories in there related to China and Korea that could really, and in North Korea that could get potentially cause some issue that you would have to possibly alter. <laughs> um, but um, basically, essentially blaming China for the outbreak in general, I think, or at least there was like one story that was sort of potentially the origin story of the whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, so um anyway but i do think that there is overlap i think that they could do it but it would i don't know that the appetite is there at this point in time with the belt tightening that's happening and we'll i think see. you know we'll have to see uh second uh article uh, on the list today is video game actually so is the third <laughs> uh but the this one is just a, a straight up game it's called typing of the dead overkill now i don't know about you guys but i could definitely benefit from this because i Never really took a typing class, um, and so I I can type fast, but then I have to hit backspace most of the time. Um, so I I think I might need to buy the Typing of the Dead to be able to type out words like um, tyra sexual tyrannosaur before the zombie uh, reaches me. And so to learn about home row and all these basic things that most people learned, I, I don't know, when they were like in fifth grade. I I can type pretty quickly, but and I did take a typing class, though I forgot everything that you were really supposed to learn in it. And this stressed me out. The idea of it stressed me out so entirely. Like I I had a hard time even dealing with this, but I could see how this could be compelling. It might it might it might help your skills, Stuart. I don't know. <laughs> it's never never too late, right? Something that I'm uh you know kind of just uh embarrassingly uh, proud of i am an exceptional typist i do not need this game uh, mavis beacon taught me well and those skills have persisted so the only reason i would download it is to just absolutely blow it away because uh i just don't even, i'm just too good I'm, I'm like the opposite of Stuart. <laughs> oh, that's a refreshing uh, anti-humility take on the podcast. I, I love that. Hey, ev wasn't... Everyone's got to have something that they're inordinately proud of, and that's mine for some reason. <laughs> okay. Well, then let's let's move right along to something that, that Kyle might not be good at, and that's Dead <laughs> Island 2. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see this new trailer that dropped. This was like a gameplay I, trailer, but it's very linear and like narrated. Um, it's... This game has a lot of character, uh, like a lot of personality, um, and you might not. It might not be a good thing. It's it's ex it has a it has a real perspective, I guess, but not like one that is going to change your life. Um, tell me your impressions, uh, uh, H.A. I, I hated the narration. I found it kind of annoying, um, but uh, I thought it looked OK. Um, but, you know, I'm not like there's a reason. Okay. Anytime I see like a gameplay trailer and like, you know, the people are like walking through, I'm like, oh, 
I could totally see myself getting way too involved in this, which is why I'm not a gamer, because I think I would never leave my apartment if I got into these things. Um, so I don't really have the purview that you do. Um, it looked it looks pretty good to me. But um, one of the things and I don't this is probably just because of my incredibly poor vision, um, whatever the sort of like the movement and that they were doing was honestly making me a little bit motion sick. <laughs> so I don't know if that's just me. It looked pretty good, but very gory. Um, I thought that part of the the narration that was kind of hilarious was like about how satisfying slicing through the um, the zombies with the katana were. <laughs> And shooting what? off legs and stuff. It, it's yeah, definitely, and it's like if you love gore, you'll love this game. Like, it was just really leaning into that. I yeah, do think there was some that. impressive voice acting and and like some you know, even if the characters were kind of kind of uh, comical and and uh, stereotypes, it was still the, the voice acting seemed to be high quality. Kyle, did you have a chance to look at it? I, I just glanced at it. You know, I think it's interesting. There's that there's so many zombie video games these days. I mean, we talk about you know even just in the couple of episodes i've been on we've talked about three or four different um ones and i wonder if it's because they're just such a um easy proxy for human beings but you don't have to feel bad about killing them i feel i feel like there's it, it used to be that you could just like literally shoot people um like you know the the call of duties and stuff like that were very very popular counter strikes and and things and now I feel like basically the graphics have gotten so good that that's actually causing people some discomfort because it feels too much like actually killing people. So I've seen, you know, these, you know, many video games either go kind of more toward cartoony violence or monsters and stuff like that instead of actual humans. Um, but I wonder if it also kind of explains why there's so many zombie video games now, because they're a human-like object that you don't have to feel bad about killing. So yeah. I, I think uh, that that's absolutely true, but it's also true for Nazis. It's always going to be okay to shoot. Yeah, shoot, always going to be okay to shoot Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just that's all I thought while I was glancing at it. I don't have a lot of thoughts about the um, about the gameplay itself. But I, I basically I, I play about one to two video games a year and i take a very long time to work through them so i i just started god of war ragnarok so i don't need to think about video games for a very long time until i finish that one uh how are you doing in god of war uh pretty good i, I mean i'm i'm enjoying it so far nice i'm only zombies? about 10 i'm only about six hours in there oh. are kind of zombie like monsters but no real zombies okay all right well we'll keep it off the list <laughs> uh, what's on the list though is The Last of Us and we're there we made it guys uh, episode 6 is entitled Kin directed by Jasmila Zbanek um, not so good at the uh, Eastern European names there's some accents there and written by Craig Mazin and this is a this is an episode that takes us all the way to Wyoming um, and it's uh, it is an interesting there's a few different bits to it. So let's get into it. Um, we Hey, before first... we get started, can I ask you guys kind of like a BuzzFeedy quiz type question? Oh, God. Clickbait. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe this is just me. But when I hear the... I've watched a lot of HBO shows in my life. And when I hear the HBO, like the the static, like the thing. Yeah. Like after that, my brain always wants to fill in one of four theme songs it, it, it never wants to fill in the correct theme song from the thing i'm actually watching it wants to fill in deadwood <laughs> six feet under 
Game of Thrones or, and this is very embarrassing for me to admit on microphone, Entourage. Uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering if you guys have one of these, like when you hear that sound, like, do you hear like the Sopranos theme or, or, or is it, you, are you guys able to lock into what you're watching well enough to, to be able to remember it? Um, I would say mine is Game of Thrones, most definitely, or Six Feet Under. So those mm -hmm. were my two kind of big ones. Weirdly, you know, Sopranos never got into it. I, I watched like the first season and then I was like, I know, cause everybody's like, oh, you should have been, I just couldn't do it. So but it's but definitely Game of Thrones, I think, because I've watched it over such a long time. I also think especially with The Last of Us, because both Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal are in it, somehow my brain is like, I'm going to be watching some Game of Thrones related <laughs> thing. But, um, you know, so, yeah, that's for me. Yeah, I would say I don't. I, the theme songs aren't like popping into my head, but that sound really triggers for me Sopranos and Rome. I don't know if you mm. guys remember that show. I never movie. watched them. It was fucking good. Yeah. There's other there's other HBO shows that have great theme songs. Like, you know, uh White Lotus has a has a banger of a theme song and Sopranos has a good theme song and even something like Curb Your Enthusiasm is very memorable, but for some reason it's it's always one of those four for me. Probably because I watched them at a very formative time or I've seen them so mm -hmm. many times or something like that. Yeah. Uh, interesting clickbait uh listicle to to lead us off into, Kyle. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, um, continue. I wouldn't. I will tell you, like White Lotus, the second season theme song is absolutely the best. I'm waiting for the remix to drop, the the dance remix. <laughs> um, but I cannot watch that show. It is too cringy. I, I, it was really difficult. Um, uh, so I haven't finished the the show. I started the first season. Bill cannot watch it because of the cringe cringiness of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was watching it while rowing, and. I haven't been able to finish it. <laughs> so, and I do think I do connect this directly to The Last of Us episode three because it's really hard to watch the same actor. Yeah. Um, like, I don't why know. Is Frank, why is Frank such a dick? Why is Frank this way? I don't know. It's very strange. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, but go in Ken, uh, we, we begin uh, with kind of a not a recap, but I mean, you have the recap and then after the recap and the credits, there's a flashback to that scene that like the suicide of Henry in the room, uh, in the motel room and the gasp of Ellie again. Uh, so they kind of make you relive that, um, which, you know, I, I think they're, they're just really, yeah, there's reasons for that, right. That we see in how Joel is handling life three months later, because we do then have a time jump into a snowy landscape uh, we see a, a figure with a bow and some rabbits walking toward a cabin. Uh, and then the, he enters. It turns out to be actor Graham Greene. Um, and who is amazing. Yeah. Like, tell me, what are your guys' impressions? When you see this guy on screen, do, do you think of Dances with Wolves, which yes. is where my head goes? Yes. I'm like, oh, Kicking Bird. <laughs> which is me you know he's been in everything like he has been in so many things so i have never seen dances with wolves so that's I'm... not what comes to mind for me well i i think it, it for me it's a classic hey it's that guy i i, I don't recognize him from anything specific but i absolutely recognize him he, I, mean, I mean he's it, yeah. it, dances with wolves was because you know i think that's the that is that definitely the first time i ever saw him um, but he, I don't know, he just is, uh, to me, just this incredible, um, uh, 
presence on screen and i honestly wish he has been in a lot more um i feel like he's been in so much though he has been in so much but i guess when i say more i mean more as like a main role like he always plays like kind of a character actor supporting role for the most part and uh he does a really good job at the deadpan and that's kind of his thing Mm. um but you know i mean the green mile and um maverick twilight new moon yep twilight (laughs) um and then, uh, like, he's just been in so much, like, and he's one of those those people, like, if you look at the film credits, it just goes on and on and on forever. Um, and so that's... He, he had a good uh, supporting role, reoccurring role in Longmire also, which was a decent show, if a little bit uh, misleading about the crime levels in Wyoming. Uh, it seemed to make it out like it was a really bad neighborhood in, in you know, when in the seventies or something when violent crime was at its highest. Uh, but yeah, so and Graham Greene. And he was also in Northern Exposure, like yeah. as a recurring something or other, right? As well, was he? Cause then Elaine Miles, yes, who is his wife in this is also in Northern. Yep. They were both in Northern Exposure. Interesting. Yeah. I never really uh, watched that show. That was, that was, uh, it just didn't, it, it didn't seem very interesting when I first tried. Yeah. To and I mean, it. I was very happy to see him in, um, American Gods, the series, because he was like a whiskey jack or however they pronounce that character's name. So that it, what's really funny is that I always sort of pictured that character as being like Grand Green. So when it was actually him cast as that, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, he's he's had an incredible career. Um, this uh, in this opening scene here with with the two, uh, the the husband and wife, you know, kind of being held at gunpoint in a very, you know, non, non-confrontational way by Joel and Ellie is like one of my favorite things in the show so far. Like their yeah. interaction, their little deadpan jokes back and forth, the teasing mm-hmm. that they do with each other, and also the way that they're both just completely non-plussed by the entire situation is, it's just so wonderful. I, I would watch an entire episode or maybe an entire show just like sitcom style about these two surviving the zombie apocalypse i thought the same thing kyle and i was so <laughs> sad that it was so short and i actually rewatched the scene and there's so many just like looks that they exchange between them um that that expresses so much <laughs> and and then even the little asides um while they're talking to, to joel and ellie are just amazing and their timing their timing is really incredible. His I would little, like a little side story about yeah. these two. His little exclamations that he makes every, pretty much every time Ellie says something at first, he's like, holy, uh, yep. those kinds of things. Uh, yeah, everything was just cracking me up. And then Elaine Miles uh, is just kind of quietly being snarky in her rocking chair. Right. And yeah, Joel feels it feels like he's 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 holding them at gunpoint, but he's absolutely at a disadvantage. Like everybody right. in the room is outmaneuvering him. Well, doesn't he say Ellie. like, one of them says, like, when Ellie makes her little appearance, like, who's this psycho or something like something <laughs> nutty you like get, that? Where'd about? you find this psycho? Uh, yeah. yeah, the it's like it's sad when they when they leave the cabin. They can't stay there for more soup with uh, <laughs> with those two characters. But all they do is kind of 
they they tell them where they are and they tell them not where not to go next, which is exactly where they go next, of course. Well, um, I love that Joel's like, does the name Tommy mean anything to you? And I'm like, this is just the name Tommy. Just like, the name? <laughs> the, yeah. One of the most common names that a person could have. Right. There's only one who survived who's named Tommy. Exactly. Come I was on. like, Joel, maybe you got to find some more detailed questions to ask people when you meet him. But by the way, this occurs later when they ask him what his name is and he doesn't use his last name. He's just no. like, Joel. Everybody like, in this community, in this world is now first name basis. So, it's right. <laughs> uh, so, okay, let's, um, he walks outside and then this is when the first of uh, these panic attacks happens. It's fairly clear that that's what's happening. Although at this point, we don't really know. He's just kind of like grasping his chest and Ellie is um, <laughs> being like, listen, dude, if you're dead, I'm dead. So please get it together. Uh, and she steals a rabbit, and then they walk into the into the snow. Did you guys yeah. have any feelings about showing Joel and and this sort of weakness in him? I I wish that I mean, and this is just not his character, and he does get into it a little bit more later on. He, he fully sort of discloses to his brother um, what's happening in these moments, but. Um, I, not that I was finding it hard to believe, but we haven't really seen enough of it. I guess it was fine. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it until later when they sort of reveal what's happening in his head. But, um, you know, this is in terms of like building up the character, I guess it's we've been seeing a little bit of this and in little moments when he was reacting to the loss of Tess um, in, you know, a, a long, long time. You see a couple of moments of him especially after Ellie reads the letter um, uh, saying to keep Tess safe. And he just has like this really overwhelming moment. So I guess they're, they're kind of building into this. Um, but, you know, I do think that the rapport between them is if a little snarky, a lot more comfortable than it has been. And it's kind of cool to see that built in and sort of grow. Um, even as they're walking through this incredibly desolate land. Um, I also thought they were going to freeze their, their butts off out there. Um, yeah, they and seem I pretty thinking... well uh, equipped, given given their situation. Um, Kyle, oh. we kind of talked about this before, but this weakness that Joel exhibits with his panic attack slash chest grasping is part of a trend for the show where they are trying to humanize or let, let, uh, de-godify Joel a little bit from the game. Yeah, um, they were they were leading him here last week. At like HA, I kind of wish that they had had one of these episodes like randomly just in an earlier episode or something because yeah. um or like a mini one or just something cuz it, it does now it feels a little much. Like now it's like okay, he can't hear and he's like kind of old and he's having these panic attacks at, you know, inconvenient times and and and. And the so I I kind of it 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 went from being quite subtle and understated to being very very in your face pretty quickly in this episode, and um, it it's not a big deal, but it it just could have been a little bit better telegraphed. More subtle, more something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think, but I, I, but I, I have do a think feeling... it's the right direction to keep to take his uh, character overall. Yeah, uh, he he has to be made a little more fragile because in the video game, as we've said, he basically gets shot and then just wraps a bandage around himself and he's, he keeps, <laughs> keeps on going. Um, so I, I have a feeling that's why they replayed the Henry suicide at the beginning of the episode was to kind of refresh the trauma 
because that sort of event could cert- could uh, given his scenario his situation the relationship between Henry and Sam the relationship between him and Ellie his, the the pressure that's on him I I I can get there maybe I'm rationalizing and hindsight is is great that way but I can get to a place where just going through that experience could trigger panic attacks for a person a caretaker failed to protect his his um you know his the person he's guarding and then also they could have gotten worse in the intervening months it's not really clear how much time has passed since the last episode but you get a sense that it's significant like maybe right. a month or two um it's been three so... months they, they yeah there's a there's oh is a, there a title card there's okay, a title card yeah uh yeah so then we have a uh, some walking some camping there's a little bit more character development between the two of them um I don't know that it's worth uh, really hammering out. I was, yeah. So they, they're kind of walking through the snow over the hills. They're doing a little bit of uh, fellowship of the ring, hiking through the mountains, uh, talking about rivers of death. And um, when they, when they cross what they think is the river of death, the first time Joel shoots a, shoots his rifle to see if that's going to, I don't know, trigger the death. I'm not sure what he's trying to do in this scenario, but I feel like all he would have done was let people know that he was within a mile or three of of wherever they were. So I don't know that that was something I would have done. Uh, finally, they get rolled up by some people on horseback who get very close to them before they can before they're heard. This uh, is a classic Lord of the Rings shot that always cracks me up where they're basically standing you know, beneath a, a small little mound and then like all of a sudden these horseback riders come up from over the top and I'm yeah. right. It's always cracks me up because horses are so friggin' <laughs> loud. So loud. Like before that happened, I mean, maybe Joel has an excuse, but what's Ellie doing when she can't feel the ground literally shaking beneath her from eight horses being like, like <laughs> Well, it's also the the bridle and the bits and everything, like the metal makes noises. So it's yeah. Like, yeah. So anyway, and, I and they're that in was a silent funny. I mean, they're alone in sort of like a sort of open area so the noise is going to carry really far <laughs> so, and, and where's the dog where's the dog right. is the dog also, on back of one of the horses the dog after this yeah. because you never see him again and i'm like nope. they were riding what what is he up in the saddle somewhere Maybe. i was really perplexed. he's probably just doing his own thing right dogs can dogs can pretty much run about as fast as horses mm. yeah but they, they had that uh drone shot later when they're riding into the town and you don't see him that's all that's true um there's a this is a very uh, aggressive offensive defensive maneuver by Jackson like just thinking about like first of all the the chief communist let's call her Maria is out with them maybe she just does that because it's a <laughs> I'm, I'm tipping my hand that that's one of my favorite parts of this whole episode is when she goes yeah it's a commune we're communists <laughs> <laughs> yeah and she's out great. doing a patrol. Uh, which I assume, I guess, will happen when you're in charge and you consider yourself a communist. You'll be like, "Yeah, I'll do the, I'll do all the jobs." Uh, but she's out there too. It's just a very aggressive uh, first move. Uh, what did you guys think about this? Like, you you roll up on a man and a and a girl walking through miles away from your town. How do you like? Is this the way that you would respond in this scenario? Well, I mean, I think that the the sort of concern that they are infected is a valid one. But if you're rolling up on them and you're worried about them communicating, if they are and they're going to communicate with other things, it seems like an odd way to do it. Like it feels like stealth would probably be a better way to go. Right. Um, But, 
you know, uh, like this was the part that made me laugh because she was just like, what's your name? And he's like, just Joel. Like, <laughs> like the brothers <laughs> don't look that much alike. They just don't. No. So, like, unless she's seen a photo of him, this just seems like they, they bring them in and they could be part of a bigger party. Like this could be an ambush. We don't, they don't know that. So it felt like a little risky given how concerned they are about people finding them, given all the efforts that they have made um, to try to make their town as like threatening or as invisible as possible. Like nobody comes here because it's so threatening. Um, and Ellie later on jokes, it's like, yeah, you've really terrified a couple of 90 year olds. Uh, so yeah. Um, so that was I, this didn't seem to make a lot of sense for me, given the care that they take with all the other things that they're doing. But I guess we just have to kind of deal with that. I kind of I kind of rolled with it. I mean, considering they later they later explained it away as kind of like, you know, we we act tough to, you know, discourage any visitors and stuff like that. I, that's kind of how it felt to me. And also it allows them to weed out anybody who might be infected from getting anywhere close. I, I presume that those raiding parties are mostly looking for infected and not for um you know other folks who are getting close and stuff like the the patrols so it, it didn't really bother me that much yeah it just felt like if i was in joel's shoes i would just be pissed i mean i guess he's scared too but like dude i'm just walking here you know I, i'm obviously not ready for the post uh post-infection america right where you can just get rolled up by some angry militia men just for walking um, but okay, I will have to, I'll have to deal with that later. Uh, they get ridden into Jackson, which is a walled town on a big flat plain, and inside the walls is uh, I don't know, small town America. Just no cars, but uh, like you know, kids, snowmen, commerce, Tommy hoisting things on chains. Uh, what did you guys think of this set? I did like the idea that there's sort of these like little abandoned houses and um, then they put Joel and, and Ellie up into one because nobody's been in there and it has heat and things like that. But it's it's basically a little time capsule from whoever had been in there before. Um, I thought that that was fine. It's, you know, they they use sort of specific things pretty well, like including uh, Maria and Tommy's house and then the the house that Joel and Ellie are in. Um, and then you see a little bit of the community in terms of like uh, the stables and then the movie house. Um, so I thought that that was kind of cool to see how it was, you know, as a community repurposed. Um, and we get to see it walking around. So these are the kinds of things that I kind of love is to see how this kind of a community would work. Um, you know, a little bit of the minutia. I thought they did a pretty good job. I do think that, you know, that amount of livestock and horses and things like that takes an enormous amount of resources. So that, of course, is what I was like, how do you, especially like out here, how do you do that? How do you keep enough food? Because this is a lot of people. Um, so I, of course, was thinking about that. But, you know, overall, I thought it was all right. We've managed to make it this far today without referencing the game, but that's about to end, unfortunately. Um, Damn. The set from Jackson here is so close to what you experience in the video game and well, in the second one you must be talking about because you never go there in the first game yes in the second one and and i ha i i think i played just the beginning of the second one so i kind of have a memory of this place like walking around it and it is like eerie to see it recreated so so well um so that's like something that is is kind of fascinating that we've gotten here so early 
Um, but definitely, I think to fans of the video game, it rings very, very accurate to what you see, um, you know, in, in the last of us. Um, and, and it is, I, I think that it's a reasonably good example of how you might be able to set something like this up. I still have questions about electricity. I guess we're supposed to believe that they're getting it from the dam, right? Like Rio says, says as much. Yeah. Yeah. In the game is what, so, so just a quick red herring off of what you're saying, Kyle. In the game, H.A., for your benefit, I know you're really fascinated about what happens in the game. You meet <laughs> up so with much. Maria and Tommy at the dam that they're looking at because they have a little encampment there. And they would, in even in Jackson, I think they would have a defensive you know, contingent at this dam that provides them with electricity. But that's in the game. You never actually go to the town. You You kind of do all your interacting for the most part in that dam area. But sorry, Kyle, go on. Uh, and then um, that's the part that I had trouble with HA. I didn't think so much about the agriculture and the you know the livestock and and everything like that. The the part that rang false to me is like <laughs> uh, not not to get too too like deep into my own personal life, but I basically work in an industry that supports uh, like electrical equipment, and that stuff does not just stay good in perpetuity. You oh. need new stuff every day. Uh, some little piece of something's getting fried or going bad or whatever. And, and it requires constant maintenance to keep something like that moving. And so I'm just kind of like, where are they getting their extra circuit breakers? Like, what are they doing when, when stuff goes down? So uh, anyway, that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the uh, But I, I thought that, that this little introductory, you know, walk around the town, it does a good job of what it's supposed to do, which is kind of making you understand that there are places out there in the world that are still um you know it's semi-civilized i guess is the right word and this is and, and this is something that i don't think that the show is going to do because i think we're in a different kind of show but i have a little bit of trouble with the with the kind of humans descend into animalistic you know uh anarchy narrative that like things like the road or walking dead kind of put forth which is that like basically all humans on some level you know want to or regress to being um you know cruel and uh and horrible when civilization collapses so i kind of hope that nothing happens to really spoil this like i don't want this to be a situation like what's that town that they find in the walking dead um and they live there for a while, and then it turns out that they're doing something horrible to somebody. Oh, which time? This is a theme that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, the Commonwealth is a pretty good example there at the end. <laughs> so uh, it, anyway, uh, uh, I, I think that, and I've referred to it a couple of times already, I think Station Eleven did a good job of this and in, in showing how people can rebuild in different ways that are all fundamentally you know, true to a nature of human beings that's a little bit more um, optimistic <laughs> and and uh, that human beings, when in crisis, tend to find ways to help and support each other. Um, it, and so I kind of hope that they don't go down a route of showing how the soul of Jackson is actually corrupt somehow. I'm not sure if they're going to go there or not, but I, that's my wish, at least. It, I think it's better if this is a place that is um 
you know, actually functioning as it claims to be on the tin and, you know, Ellie and Joel can't stay there for, for some reason or another. So well, it's a noble wish, Kyle. Uh, I know. Let's see how it goes. Everybody loves the town where everything is great and nothing happens and they make TV shows about it. Right. But I do think <laughs> it's funny, though, how both Joel and Ellie grate a little bit against this, like, while yeah. they like it, there's a little bit of a it's too good to be true. Uh, true, and Ellie especially really is like you can tell that she is feeling anxious and um, probably related to whatever's going on with Joel, and she knows something's going on. And she, you see this like when he goes off with his brother and and he leaves her with Maria, um, especially. But you even see it when you know they're sitting there and eating, and that other kid looks at her and she's all pissed off. Um, like she almost, she's got a skepticism about it. Um, and you get the sense that she's slightly allergic to this kind of community, uh, maybe because it does feel a little too good to be true to her. And she's, you know, doesn't want to lose that is, is afraid of losing that. And you see this, she, Bella Ramsey does like, I think an incredible job at showing that level of, of both longing and, uh, skepticism and, and cynicism um be, and fear um so i i really loved that story arc as you watch her reactions to what's happening in the community it's like she kind of wants to be part of it but she just can't let herself be and you know even it's when she's even at the movie house it's it's really a hard thing for her to be doing um yeah so you, she's looking around the room kind of like right. uncomfortable and not focusing yep. on richard dreyfus I, I really liked the uh, when they pair up and go off and have very different kind of conversations too. I thought that was an interesting, like a, a a cool way to catch us up on on some Tommy and and Joel drama, and to have that moment between Maria and Ellie later on after she's had like had her shower and her pink bathrobe and everything and has new clothes and gets her hair cut by Maria and learns some things. And can we just talk for a quick second about Rutina Wesley here? Because yep. I've already name dropped her, but she, this is an actor who was on one episode of The Walking Dead. She played like the cult leader of a band of murderous children, Kyle, to your point. Everything <laughs> yep. is bad. Everything is bad all the time. <laughs> uh, but then Rutina Wesley, I came to know her more from, um, God, True Blood. Yeah. True Blood, was, yeah. was that an HBO or a Showtime? I think it was no, a Showtime. No, it was HBO. Was it? Um so that was a not always great show about vampires and how they love to have sex all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but Rutina Wesley, as I recall, was a human on that show for most of her run, if not the whole thing. And no, um, no, she got she got vamped eventually. But she no, got, got was... they all got got eventually. Yeah. Uh, but she played a a really fun character, and so I, I enjoyed her um, on that show, and I'm happy to see her here. And the interactions we she has with Ellie are the most maternal since Tess, I guess. I don't know that Tess ever quite got to maternal, but this is a, a very maternal conversation. Um, did you guys have, how did you respond to the advice she was giving Ellie? I, I liked it. And it's just such a, you know, her, her character on True Blood. And again, this is like years ago, but she was Tara Thornton. And I thought she did an incredible job with that. And honestly, it made me really sad because it was almost like, the storyline of that show just just they didn't know quite what to do with that character. And so they kind of minimized it. And eventually, I mean, she was she was there and I mean, maybe she had other projects. And so that was possibly part of it. Um, but I was really happy to see her in this um, and playing such a such an interesting 
role. I I think she's maternal, but she's maternal in this post sort of apocalyptic world because some of the things that she's saying is pretty are pretty rough because she's like, ah, the, the people that you put your trust in, they're the ones who can betray you. So I guess be careful where you put your trust. But that's like a pretty ominous conversation to have. And I also thought that it was interesting that she felt maybe, I mean, maybe it was because she was feeling maternal towards her, but she felt comfortable enough despite seeing how tight that Ellie and Joel is, or maybe it was because she saw this, um, basically warning Ellie against Joel. Um, and Ellie is very defensive of him and very protective of him and does not, does not like sort of betray him at least in her head. And, and so I thought that this was a really cool interaction. And I thought that Regina Wesley did a great job overall. Like I loved her in this entire, um, episode. Um, and you know, we see, we even see a little bit more of this tension later because Joel is saying to Tommy, well, you know, is it because of your wife that you stopped contacting me and I had to come all the way out here and find you. And, and, you know, I thought you had died and like, there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on. And I think she plays off this role. Well, like you fully believe that she would tell Tommy not ever to contact Joel again. Like I thought this was just a really great. Um, and again, I think that this show is excelling at their their guest stars and cameo appearances there's Absolutely. even a, a line of dialogue and during the tour ha where um maria is saying uh how they kept off the grid as it were like it helps that we're in the middle of nowhere but there's other things like i think she says uh patrolling staying off the radio and when she says staying off the radio tommy looks at joel and then looks yep. away it was a beautiful like again mm -hmm. one of these things with the second watch is when you notice that kind of thing because they talk about it later yep but that's it's right there. I loved it so much. Kyle, did you did you enjoy the scene and the one that uh, Joel and Tommy were having in the bar? Yeah, I mean, we get it. I think the structure here is really interesting because we get kind of like whisked through Jackson. Like you would think that after three months, you know, trudging through the Wyoming wilderness, stopping only for some soup, um, they would be anxious to stay someplace. But they really are only here for one evening. And and I think that's a really interesting choice. I think it is a good one because we could get really bogged down here, but, um, it, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> I'm not sure that it quite rings true. And maybe it would be nice to have some of these conversations over a period of, you know, maybe a couple of days or something, a, a week of recuperation and, and getting some healthy food into you. But um, I, I loved their, I, I don't know, this, this is just, an acting showcase here in the middle of the episode, you get a tremendous performances from um, Tommy and Maria. You get Bella Ramsey just absolutely blowing the doors off the place in what's basically her Emmy highlight reel. Yeah, totally. Um, and then you get uh, Pedro uh, just bringing, you know, some emotion to the surface finally for, for, um, Joel with the only person that he can really be this honest with, which is his little brother. And um, all of these are just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so I don't know, you just, it, all of these have little moments in them that I love at like the moment when Maria realizes that she's given away the existence of Joel's daughter and that he hadn't told uh, Ellie about that. Um the little the, when Ellie finds the diva cup that's been left for her and kind of like looks at it and squishes it between her fingers and and realizes that there's a better way to do things than scavenging for for tampons that she's been having to do. Um, 
it, it just like all, all this stuff is just you know is just really well done the whole scene in, in jackson here you just kind of want to stay in it for a little while and and take a little break from the stress that's been happening but i also think that that's why they did it in such a small moment and that you don't want them to leave because yeah. then that becomes like this i don't want to say like it's like a haven um and if they didn't leave when they did they would just stay and i think that there is the danger of that like even sort of in the conversations that Joel has with Tommy that he's got to get her to this thing. And and there is like a temptation, I think, to, to not do that um, and to just stay here forever. Um, but they've got to make the hard decisions. Um, I also think that um, Joel's sort of, I don't want to say his breakdown, but it is kind of a breakdown here. He goes from being, you know, very careful about the information he's sharing with Tommy, even so much as to not tell him initially what happened to Tess. Um, and then as the episode progresses, um, that breaks down, but everything breaks down for him, including his confession to Tommy that he really feels like he is losing it and that he cannot get Ellie to safety, that if something happens to her, similar to what happened to Sarah, um, that he's going to just completely crumble and does not feel capable of going on and and that is huge for this character who always seems to be able to kind of like suck it up and go on um and i think you know tommy's words are really like he's pretty harsh and horrible he's like tells joel he's having a kid and that he's like oh just because your life's over mine does it or like he makes this really harsh comment and he apologizes later but those are pretty those are those are fighting words i don't know they're pretty they're pretty rough um but I do think that it the evolution and the quick evolution of how they uh, show these characters and unfold the, the sort of storyline between them is really well done. And honestly, that just this cast is incredible. The chemistry between them, you believe it. You believe these relationships. And, you know, the last time we saw Tommy was in the, the first episode or the second episode. I can't remember. But it was very brief amount of time, like not very long at all. And you believe the relationship between these two characters. Um, so I don't know. That, I, I was really, this was the, to me, I, this is one of my favorite episodes so far. Now that we've raved about it a little bit, there were two things about the structure of this that did bother me a little bit. I'm curious to hear if they bothered you guys too. Um, so obviously what happens here, just to kind of do the, the 30,000 foot view, they arrive in Jackson. Um, uh, Joel reveals to, Tommy that Ellie is immune and that she needs to get to the Firefly encampment south of, of Jackson in Colorado. Um, and he asks Tommy to take her there because he doesn't think he can do it. He, he thinks he's too too weak to take her all the way there. Um, and then Ellie and Joel fight about this decision with Joel eventually deciding to let Ellie choose who to, to take uh, her down to, to Colorado. Um, the two things that bother me here are number one, I would have liked to get some way to see Tommy in action because so far Joel's been pretty good. I mean, I know he's like, you know, can't hear very well and sets up these ineffective traps and stuff, but um, I would have liked to see Tommy do something <laughs> to prove that he's more capable. Cause I, we don't know that. And I'm not sure Joel really knows it either. Cause he hasn't seen him in a while. So yeah, he's younger, but he doesn't really look 
I don't know. The, the, the show doesn't give us anything except just kind of Joel's word that, you know, Tommy's a more capable person to, to take this task on. That's fair. I mean, um, I think it's been, I think it's been, well, it's been at least three months. And before that, we don't really know when Tommy left. But in the first episode in Boston, he's getting, he's trying to get a hold of him on the radio. And I think he might have given us a time frame in that episode as far as how long it's been. But I think they've spent most of the last 20 years together, even yeah. if they had kind of gotten um, less close because Tommy joined the Fireflies. I, I think, I don't think it's been, I think it's been not long enough in Joel's mind for him to doubt Tommy's um, acumen. I, I, I agree. That I, I would have said nice. if you'd asked me if you'd asked me based on what the show's given us, when do you think the last time Joel saw Tommy was? I would have said five years. I mean, based like on the, how they greet each other, it feels yeah. like that. It could, yeah, might as well have been. And and the fact that Tommy joined up at the Fireflies and then was moved way out, and they had to come up with this radio method for communicating and all that kind of stuff. That's what it feels like to me. That could be. That yeah. could be. And then the second I part of this that I wish we would have seen is we don't get anything that uh we don't get anything that motivates joel changing his mind i mean he has a conversation with ellie where <clears throat> she basically says everyone and everything i've ever known has abandoned me except for you and then he basically says i'm not your dad get over yourself and go with tommy like you know this is this relationship is is over and then he goes and sits in his room for a while and then the next morning he's like you get to you get to choose who who goes and i i i just wish we would have seen him finding something looking at something like just something to motivate that change of heart because it's a pretty substantial thing and and we don't get any motivation for it so you you get the visions of him uh, dressing the christmas tree with sarah i think i yeah. think that's what you're supposed I thought to take that away that's from it. what it was uh, but yes, I, I mean, you know, as well as anybody, Kyle, you can have a good sleep and change your mind about something, right? That, that's, true. that's true, too. But I do think we get those little visions of him like staring off into space and uh, Sarah and him decorating a Christmas tree. Hey, Rufus. I'm going to let him into the room so he stops barking. Hold on. <laughs> I'll be back in two seconds. Okay. Um, the the scene of uh oh, ha you're gonna love this it's a video game parallel uh the scene of him going into that bedroom where she's sitting in the window seat mm -hmm. and looking at the journal and saying is this all people ever had to worry about that they they've talked about how this is a, one of those mirror image sort of uh shot mm -hmm. for shot line for line um and even when um ellie is hitting him after she says everybody in my life has either died or left me everybody <laughs> except for you they even use the like that's not how the dialogue was written. Ashley Johnson in the video game, I think they said, uh, kind of flubbed it because she was feeling the the moment so much, and they had Bella Ramsey recreate that, it, even mm. even though it's like grammatically like you know, the curse is in the wrong part of the sentence. Uh, it should have been later, whatever. But they had her just recreate it, and I think it was. Um, there's been so some funny because I did wonder. I did wonder about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's noticeable a little bit, right? There's been some hints in the uh, the interviews and in the uh, on the Last of Us podcast that maybe that scene was a little bit more challenging. They talk about having to have having had to take a 15 minute break, that there was some pressure. Uh, so I wonder if this wasn't a difficult scene because they were trying to do it so specifically and not really letting the actors make more choices in that one. Mm -hmm. But it's 
it is a very iconic scene. Um, Neil Druckmann talks about how that's the scene that most people remember from the video game. I, I mean, it is memorable. I'll grant him that, but I don't know that it was the one that I think about the most. But it is clearly like a huge linchpin sort of fulcrum moment in the story of Joel and Ellie where he pushes her away. And then in the video game too, it's not that much longer later on that he does make that same decision to uh, let Tommy off the hook and go instead. And the qu the question or the thing that he asks or says to Ellie in the stable, you should have a choice. You should be able to make your own choice or something along those lines. Not said in the video game, but massively important to this story. And yeah. uh, we'll just hold on to that one uh, for later because it's a huge piece here. Yeah. I also, I mean, I, I could have guessed that this was, it felt very specific. Um, so I could have guessed that it was probably something like that. Um, and they have that thing with the windows in the video game. Um, yeah, they do but, a thing with windows. Yeah. But one of the things that I do like um, that they, you know, the, the dress, the, the setting dress up um, where it's sort of like these little time capsules. And in this case, it's like a teenager's room and, and Ellie is like, oh, is this all they had to worry about? And mm -hmm. you see just they, they're the care taken with the detail um, just in the things that are on the wall. And, and we see this a lot in the next episode, the it's sort of the, the vestiges of the world that was before. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because it's kind of what I liken it to, and it's not quite the same thing, but, um, you know, <laughs> like, I, right now, there, or recently, there has been a lot of sort of like things going back to the 80s and 90s and just sort of what people think those things were like and what it was actually like is very different than what is sort of processed by people who weren't alive then, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, it's the music and it's the, you know, the these little like sort of details, but actually living in that time is very different. Um, so it's sort of being processed through a different lens, like the lens of present day. Um, so it just becomes an entirely different thing. Mm -hmm. And I really like how they deal with that in the next episode. And you see how the character, how Ellie and her friend in the next episode are are sort of their ideas of what the old world was. And, you know, we even saw that with Ellie when uh, they're, they were kind of like um, they're in Lincoln and she doesn't even, you know, she's all excited to get in the car. Right. Um, and But doesn't know about like what buckle up means. <laughs> so right. the seatbelt is. And so I like the care and the detail that they are taking with these sort of little things that are just kind of in the background, but they're there and they're, um, they do have significance later. Sometimes they do it in a slightly hand-handed fashion, but um, which we'll talk about for the next episode. But um, but there's also like callbacks to other things. So um, you know that that I was really excited about. Yeah, I, I, I think he is. But well, I don't know. Are you back, Kyle? Yeah, I am. Sorry. Okay. Welcome back. He just believes that he has a God-given right to be on the bed in the office. If Absolutely. Anyone's in the office. What <laughs> anyway. what is Rufus? What kind of dog? He's a he's a, a pit mix. He's he's an elderly gentleman, so oh. he's he's thirteen years old now. So he oh, he so he's a statesman. Wants to right. be on the softest surface at all possible times. <laughs> <laughs> well, who uh, doesn't? Well, so Ellie and Joel ride out into the tundra, uh, do a little rifle practice, um, and then head and then quickly, I guess a week later or, or so, make it to Eastern Colorado University or University of Eastern Colorado. 
which is where the Firefly base is that Tommy knows about, although I don't know that he's been there recently. Um, because as they ride in, they see signs that it's been abandoned. Um, and they go inside and find a map that shows them exactly exactly where everybody's gone which i'm like that's probably not a great map to leave behind uh fireflies but okay <laughs> um, yeah let's just tell everybody right <laughs> there's there's some monkeys who make it into this episode who are from the game like, i this was is going a... to say i was gonna ask it felt like that's what it was they, they were a little more important in the game uh this whole segment is kind of like an hour or two of gameplay in, uh, in the game because you have to like get around some doors and they of course are infected there uh but it ends in a similar ish way uh, where suddenly there are people there and let's stay away from people. And so they sneak out. Uh, these guys obviously woke up and chose violence because the first thing they do when they see Joel, apparently, is one of them runs toward him and tries to swing uh, and hit him with a baseball bat. Um, doesn't go as planned. Baseball bat apparently breaks on the tree and ends up in Joel's gut they get on their horse and right away, Joel badly wounded. Um, it's kind of, there isn't a lot else to say about that scene, I think, unless you guys have something else, but it's another kind of important scene. No, it's a, it's a good example of something that the, that the show is doing well, which is kind of hurrying you through the gameplay yeah. parts. <laughs> like basically this is quite a long, um, quite a long section of gameplay where you're like, you know, sneaking around and killing dudes and throwing bricks and stuff and they dispense with it in about 30 seconds which i think is is the right move here um so it, it the thing that i just you know thought is like is there any person on earth who doesn't know by this point that you're not supposed to take out a thing that stabs you like just don't don't yank it out of there like what are you doing right. joel right. uh i thought that was a very poor plan to to take that thing and and you know let all the blood behind it loose while you're riding away on horseback loose blood yeah, I, kept, I kept getting nervous though that the monkeys were gonna be a more significant part of this so that was like it it felt like you know a little 28 days later just <laughs> yeah. the, i was just like is it gonna be like that they do something crazy or they steal so i was just like are they gonna be more into this but that didn't happen so yeah like in, uh, the, in the game they have a bit of a 28 days later storyline but the the Anyway, if if you if people haven't played the game and, and want to, I don't want to spoil it for them. But there is there's a little bit more with the monkeys. Not it's not like they become the whole point of the game. Um, this this episode ends not long after the scene. It's it's already been an hour. I feel like this is a longish episode when Joel falls off falls off, off the horse uh, after they've lost the four men, and uh, and Ellie's looking at him saying, "If you die, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm screwed. Don't die." because I need you uh, and then cut to the title to, to the credits. Right. And then um, the, finally, the get, very... finally getting to, I can feel the show just being so relieved that they're finally in the American West and they can, or the, you know, the greater American West and they can show off those beautiful Alberta landscapes that they've been right, dying right, to right. show off this whole time. <laughs> Did you guys see the controversy about the horse? Sorry, before we leave the last episode behind oh, entirely. What was the controversy? so in that last final like drone shot or pullback of them where they're just alone in the expanse 
the horse is standing so still that Uh-oh. if you watch the horse, it looks like it was just literally like a copy pasted image that was stuck in there at the last moment. <laughs> Come on. And so all these people were like, last of us, like, why are you just like doing this lazy CGI of this horse in there? And then the last, like somebody from the last of us went on Twitter and was like, that horse is a real horse. It just stands really still. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like, really that's funny. literally how the horse was standing during the shot. And so they, they had to defend their not <laughs> their, crappy their CGI. Sticking this fake horse in there. I have to watch this. I'm sorry. I mean, the horse is standing with one of its feet up off the ground, too. I don't know, but it is not moving that foot. So, yeah, that's quite funny. Controversy. Oh, it is so still. <laughs> it is very still, but you know, it's a trained horse. I, it's not I, even I, moving its ears, though, H.A. The Last of Us community can't agree if the horse in episode six you know what? was real is, or a prop. The horse is a professional. I don't understand why people can't just accept that. <laughs> it, it found its mark and it stayed there, by God. It, it didn't even flick its ears. Oh, my God. Nope. Like the, the, the reins are hanging down and they're not even moving at all. Like it's so still. Okay. I'm, uh, the jury's still out for me. That could that could totally be a fake horse but a very nice nice fake horse uh so episode seven is where we're arriving so the there's a little bit of background to this you don't get to do this stuff in the first video game this is part of a dlc that was released later i don't know how how much later but left this is basically the episode title is left behind and that is the name of the dlc that you can play once you finish this the main plot of the video game uh kyle did you ever play left behind i did but i do not have a strong memory of it well i mean if you've seen this episode that's basically kind of how it goes yeah uh, uh, but i just when i was watching the episode i was kind of like oh yeah i kind of remember that but this this dlc left a really strong impression on some people um and it's it's talked about a lot as being like an example of like really really great post release content that can be added to a game and for some reason i just it didn't really make a an impact on me maybe because i played it i bought them like as a bundle so i it didn't really feel like something i got special after the fact it was just a little thing that became available for me after the game was over yeah it's it's one of the rare times in the in this sort of game that you get to play as ellie uh there is a part of the game the main game where you get to play as ellie but this you're basically all it's all ellie for this dlc um and she is in a mall trying to save joel's life and she goes to the mall with riley so there's like these two parallel mall experiences also um so let's let's see she has in, in as this episode episode opens She's gotten him into a house. We're not really sure how she has gotten him up. He must have regained consciousness. I assume is the only way that would have worked because he's a grown-ass man and she is a little person. Um, But she's gotten him into a house and is basically just trying to pack the wound and and stop him, stop his bleeding. And he's talking. So he he is somewhat conscious. He's telling her to leave him and go find Tommy. And... You know, after he pushes her away, it almost seems like that's what she's going to do. She goes up up the stairs. I think she's in a basement. She reaches for a door handle and then Pearl Jam. Uh, this is a much Pearl more Jam. musical. It's a much more <laughs> musical episode than the last one. There were some songs. This one is because it's kind of like a coming of age story. It's it's very musically driven. But it's clearly the musical choices of uh, two men in their late 40s. I I was going to say that. I was like, this is not what two teenagers would be listening to 
who, you know, uh, like it's not even what would be available to them. Later in the episode, they play a cover of I Got You, Babe that was released in the 60s. And uh, like, it is so obscure. And I was like, these people would be listening to Clocks by Coldplay. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> <laughs> music that came out in 2003, probably. Yes, that's yeah. what would have been around for them. You know what I mean? But it would not, it would be Eminem, not this stuff. It's still really good music. This is a good Pearl Jam song. Apparently, this is Neil Druckmann's influence. He's a big Pearl Jam fan. Uh, and what's kind of interesting, too, is she's listening to it on a cassette Walkman, which 2003. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about that, but okay. go ahead. No, yeah, you go for it, AJ. Well, so, you know, it's a cassette Walkman. And in terms of like maybe things that are held over, like tapes just don't really last like they deteriorate they break down and anybody who has them knows that like they just don't last forever and i just don't buy that this is something that would be happening without that sony walkman eating up that tape and spitting it out but you know i thought Discman might make more sense but i guess they're trying to i don't know this didn't I, this did not seem like it made sense to me <laughs> so we're definitely not not even ipod iPods, I don't think. There might have been the most rudimentary MP3 players were definitely out in 2003. That's for sure, actually. Oh, yeah, there were iPods in 2003. There were iPods, and, you know, if you want to go into this, you could do a Discman, I guess. But the other part is the batteries, right? Because those those Sony, they they took, like, 12 batteries or something crazy that would only last, like, a very short amount of time. (laughs) So who's making batteries in this, yeah, yeah, point. Um. But so she's listening to this uh to to Pearl Jam and she's running around in a gym wearing her Fedra trainee t-shirt when Bethany makes a terrible error. Uh and I did I did I did enjoy mostly the my favorite part of this interaction is Beth the look on Bethany's face when she realizes that she just she just screwed up because Ellie starts to like coil into into viper mode or whatever she's doing. Uh it's it's a lot of fun to watch that. I liked the little like sort of the the gym scene and that this is their sort of like it, even though even though this is sort of like a I don't know their their little Fedra school and stuff like that it still has that sort of like downtrodden um feeling that any phys ed class would have <laughs> so I kind of liked that and the lighting was very like washed out and yellow and and you know I, I did think that that was like kind of a cool thing to get a little view into what the Fedra life was like for her. Yeah. And and you get more of that when she's then with her shiner in Captain yep. Kwong's office. Captain Kwong played by Terry Chen, who mm-hmm. I uh, associate most with The Expanse because he played Praxitiki Meng, um, a botanist on that show, a really cool part and he becomes a part of the crew and befriends the biggest psycho on the crew Amos um so it, I was just really happy to see this actor and then he is playing this really kind of charming and um empathetic captain of Fedra who who makes a case for why Ellie should be excited about her future with Fedra um and this is you know I'm thinking about this Kyle with the the backdrop of us talking about is Fedra maybe a good thing and how many different kinds of Fedra are there in the U.S. Uh, from our conversation about Kansas City? What did you have any reactions to the scene with with this guy? I really enjoyed. It, it is it is emblematic of how this show approaches its characters, and I think a really good 
decision here to humanize the Fedra officer. He's not like a mindless automaton, you know, who raw kind of guy. He's thoughtful and obviously in some ways good at finding these diamond in the rough kids to become Fedra officers and, and protect the city and, and seems to genuinely believe in what he's doing. Um, so I, I thought that the portrayal of him was really well done and, and the approach that he takes to, with Ellie is a very, um, you know, a tactful one where he basically decides to treat her a little bit like an adult and explain to her the stakes of really what's involved here and, and almost be kind of more like a college counselor than, uh, you know, a, a superior officer or something like that. So, so I just thought this was a really nice little scene and I liked that he was not an antagonistic character necessarily, just someone trying to do, you know, the best that, that he could in the moment. Yeah, and I I did I liked the kind of guidance counselor aspect of him, but I also like how he is sort of laying out what is happening in the world and that things would fall apart if they weren't there, at least from his perspective. Um, I'd also I was also very happy to see him in this. I actually, you know, I started the Expanse. I need to watch it, but I just haven't, even though I know it's excellent. But um, the role I remember him the most from um, was in Almost Famous. And he plays like the um, the editor, uh, Ben Fontorez, who's amazing. And he has like this really good little this bit part, but he's in it throughout the movie. And it really he was incredible in that. Um, and then he's been in like a ton of television shows, like just sort of omnipresent in sort of some of my favorite shows like Battlestar Galactica and Psych and things like that. So, um, you know, I, it was, he took this role and like we've been seeing with a lot of the, the guest stars, I felt like he made such a big impact and made this, made Fedra, I guess made you see a different, maybe Fedra's different in different places, but at least in this particular instance, it gives you a very different perspective than the one we were seeing from Joel and Tess, which I really liked. Um, And so I thought that was kind of cool, but it also sets up things for this whole episode with, um, with uh, the interactions with Riley um, and how Ellie and Riley interact together and the things that are causing them tension with um, with Riley having joined the Fireflies. And it also, I think it's, it's, it's really important because even though Ellie is kind of being a sullen teenager because she is a sullen teenager and just kind of going through those things, what he said absolutely resonated with her. She um, repeats it later, yeah. 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 So I really loved this this scene. And again, like these these guest stars are really just knocking it out of the park. So um, really yeah. kind of a cool thing and and making it a lot of like Ray. I, I agree with you, Kyle. It makes like the different. It's not like this sort of faceless um, militaristic organization. Um, you, you're seeing just a different side of it. So they've talked, the creators have talked about trying to make this like a, a ditch day equivalent in the apocalypse. Um, so when Riley comes and persuades Ellie to sneak out of Fedra dorms to go out for the best night of her life, uh, you know, it, it, it's an adventure. They uh, right away, <laughs> it, like it doesn't take long for them to get into um, Lean on Me. Stand by me, which is the one where they uh, f- they go to find the dead body on the train tracks because they find a dead that's, body pretty quickly. That's stand, stand by, by me. me. Stand by me. 
Uh, they find that uh, the dead guy very quickly, and it's not even really a big deal. I mean, it is. It's like noteworthy, uh, but they they it's kind of comical at the same time, which is crazy, right? Because that guy probably has only been dead for a few hours. Um, so that's just the world they live in, and that's like a nice reminder that these kids are not like you know when she's looking at that journal. <laughs> she's like this is this is what you guys used to worry about who are the top 10 hottest boys in the class <laughs> I, uh, i've got dead guys like just lying in the hallway of this building um but after some fun roof jumping and finding a bottle of booze they wind up in the uh in liberty gardens in the mall where uh riley is planning to show ellie the four wonders of the mall um which quickly turns into the five wonders of the mall because Ellie discovers this like joy that she has when she discovers new things, which you've already referenced with the car thing, AJ, mm-hmm. uh, escalator, moving electric stairs. Um, and she discovers these two, aha, take on me, take me on. I, I'm not, I can't yeah, remember. That was the, that was the thing where I was like, uh, they showed the, they, they had showed the, like, they showed that album, that, right? Yeah. They, they showed the cassette, whatever, and I'm like, oh, we're going to go into a take on me montage, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> That's not that exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But it's it's also like Bella, like this is Bella Ramsey showing us what exuberant Ellie can look like. She's already kind of irrepressible. We've already seen her just never ending with the questions and the snark and the jokes. But this is like her on set to 11, uh, especially right here on the on the escalator. And she's just so blown away by everything she's witnessing and really happy to be with her friend. Um, so I, I don't know. I thought that this was like a cool window into what childlike, really childlike Ellie could be like. Well, and I also think, well, I also thought that they were going to, it's like, so I thought we were going to hear uh, Take On Me and then they were going to do the acoustic version at the end of the episode or something, <laughs> but they didn't do that. Um Maybe maybe in another episode. Um, but I thought that it was great to see sort of the um, there's a lot going on with Ellie from, you know, like the the conversation uh, with uh, with her guy. I don't want to call her the, the superior officer. Um, is it he's Commander Kwan or I Captain Kwan, Captain Kwan. Um, and then you know sort of what's going on in her head what the the sort of normal teenage things that are happening and then in this backdrop of the apocalypse and what's happening with her friend and the tension that's happening because her friend has joined the fireflies and also because of their feelings for each other that have you know up until this point i mean you could kind of see that happening but like their their feelings for each other are not spoken other than in friendship up until sort of the end of this when it becomes pretty dire. But um, that build and that build of their relationship with each other and the joy that they have in this this sort of like um, Fer- Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the Apocalypse yeah. um, really, I think, does a nice thing to show you the things that have impacted Ellie. Like, I think it's a very effective flashback. They really take a lot of time here. Like yeah. it, it, and it's wonderful. Like you just, the, the kind of like joy that these kids have in each other, the, um, the slow kind of budding, you know, tentative steps they make toward intimacy, uh, the photo booth, like all that kind of stuff. There, there are 
10 tiny little moments or things, you know, lines of dialogue or glances exchanged or stuff like that, that just kind of drive home the story that they're building here. And it's, it's really wonderful. Um, I thought it was, uh, it, you know, it, it, at one point they're dancing and like the camera kind of pans back and f you follow it into another room and you find an infected guy stuck to the wall who kind of awakens. Mm -hmm. And that's when the clock really starts to run. And after that happens, it drags a little bit for me. Like before that happens, I'm fine with it. After that happens, you're just so primed for it that you actually kind of can't enjoy like <laughs> what's happening anymore because you're just like, where's that freaking zombie going to pop out of? Yep. So um, and it is a while because there's that happens in the art when they're in the arcade and then they go to Macho Nacho. Uh, yeah, I'm really curious after the Victoria's Secret scene, like what is the underwear scene like in the QZ? What do people wear? <laughs> Apparently it's not thongs. I mean, that makes sense. But if you're if like material is short, then yeah, there's a there's a scenario where everybody could be wearing a thong. Uh, on the carousel, you get to hear the cure just like heaven, but played in a weird carousel mm -hmm. style, which was really cool to listen to. And I would say that's the scene when they're just looking at each other at certain times. Yeah. And you're really feeling them just vibing on each other right there. Um, also, that song is great. And it was amazing to hear it in that style. We were making fun of the music, but I do actually think that fundamentally speaking, you know, musical taste aside, the they do a reasonable job writing teenagers here. They and, do. And I thought this in the past episode too, where, you know, um, Ellie's developed kind of like a potty mouth. Uh, she curses a lot. And, you know, they, the, um, the couple that they find remark on it and stuff like that, that also feels very like teenager E to me is like, you know, trying to be edgy by, um, by changing your language. Um, and here they, they actually do really feel like, like teenagers. And, and that can be a little tough sometimes because most, uh, adults don't really understand or spend a lot of time with teenagers. And so a lot of times when they try to write for them, they just end up sounding like little tiny adults and, and they don't sound like that here. They, they no. do a good job with it. Interesting. That's a great point. I mean, HA and I have long bemoaned the writing of teenagers and kids on, on every show that we've seen. And I think you're right that this does feel, it doesn't feel like we're, it's being written by the usual kind of, hacks i will say craig craig mason has an 18 year old daughter maybe that helps she's actually i'm sure featured. that that helps yeah she's <laughs> featured in this episode because she sings one of the songs at the end of it is what i wrote if i recall that correctly um but yeah so the carousel you really start to feel it and then in the photo booth the next thing there's more physicality uh it's just all underpinned by this like delicious awkwardness between the two of them also uh, they keep taking nips off of that bottle of booze and um, just kind of like, yeah, you're just kind of along for this ride, even though there isn't anything like massively dramatic happening. Uh, you end up in the arcade. I will make the obligatory uh, video game comparison here that in the video game version of this in the arcade, the games don't work. Um, but it's it's I just thought this was a really cool note in the game that the video game part is really Riley just describing to you what buttons to push and what would have happened if the game was working. Right. And, and you look at um, Ellie's face and she has her eyes closed and she's just pushing the buttons and listening to Riley describe the moves. And it's super effective. I, I really enjoyed that part of the game. Yeah. I, I think that's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah then, although well, apparently Mortal Kombat's like, you know, trending and uh, the, the, the creator of Mortal Kombat was on social media talking about how how cool it was to see his game 
in the show. So, you know, you got to give him some props there. Plus, Ellie picked two characters that I used to play, Raiden and Baraka, uh, even if... Well- it's, uh, I also so. I also wondered if this was like a Craig Mazin thing because uh, have other of you watched um, Mythic Quest? Yeah, does he love Mortal Kombat in that? There's like a very specific Mortal Kombat episode um, where Brad and uh, what's the what's the little uh, the manager guy uh, with the mustache. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember his name. Uh, David uh, Brittlesby or Bartleby. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So anyway, they 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 end up playing this whole uh like competition where where Brad keeps making him like he makes him like shave off one of his eyebrows and things like that. Um and there's this whole like sort of story built around it where uh David used to p- play it every day um uh, because his mother would send him to the arcade. So I I was like, "Huh, I wonder if Craig Mason had anything to do with that too and they, they're just huge fans of this." So it's kind of fun to see that. I also really liked the fact that Riley had been practicing uh-huh. and Ellie was like all mad about it because she's just, Oh, just push those buttons. It'll be fine. You know, it's kind of yeah, the amount of prep that Riley has put into making this night was also, is also one of like the charms, right? It, because right. she's opened up the change machine. She has um, found a $5 bill for the photo booth. She's like been setting this up and it makes sense that she would considering we find out later it's her last night and she has, she's leaving. And so she wanted this to be special. Um, So even though they had not, I assume they had not kissed or, or, or like expressed to each other how they really felt before it was clear. It's clear through the amount of effort she's putting into the night that they're going to have, or that she wants them to have together. Uh, it would be clear to anybody, I think, except for a teenager, that, <laughs> that there's a there's an interest here in romance. Um, so the, it's in the arc when they're in the arcade is when you get to see the clicker kind of wake up and like yeah. And Kyle, I agree that it does take a long time then for the other shoe to drop. So you are kind of waiting for that. And in the meantime, we have them go to Macho Nacho, which I like the name of that. I don't know if that's a real thing. It was weird how many real names of stores there were, like Foot Locker, Body Shop uh subway I, I guess there's there's no there's no rule against it it's just like you're giving these brands awareness they might not want to be portrayed in a post-apocalyptic setting but if you're if they're not paying you money i don't think there's any i don't know the law but uh i guess there's no rule against it did you guys well, maybe have they any are reaction? i mean because these are the ones that hey it's still there even in a <laughs> even in an apocalypse i don't know cumberland farms to included right maybe right. maybe I don't know. Any, um, any publicity is good publicity. I, and I right. think that brands would be fine to be featured in this because it just shows that they're classic mall brands right. of the early True. 2000s. I'm just thinking of the rider that would come with like the Hyundai uh, sponsorship of The Walking Dead, where they're like, you cannot crash our car. You cannot r- run over zombies or people with it. Like there were there were conditions, which I think come along with them paying you. Uh, whereas so for them to make the commentary like, everybody robbed the footlocker but did not rob the body shop like you know they're footlocker probably doesn't want to be seen as a brand that gets looted i was <laughs> i assume or do they because they're like people want our stuff people want our stuff yeah i don't know anyway uh i'm probably trying to read too much into it um so they go into macho nacho and ellie finds the pipe bombs uh, and they have this big argument and she's like, this was, you know, I'm out of here. You're going to Atlanta and um, thanks for nothing. But storms off and doesn't make it out of the mall before she turns back and they end up in the spooky store. You know, it's spooky. 
clown masks. Yeah, I did not like that mask. I had a very no, visceral was... reaction to that mask. <laughs> I, and I honestly thought that the clicker was going to come out and do something because she was wearing that mask or something something weird. I don't know. I, I wasn't sure how they were going to tie that in, but I, like Kyle, I kept waiting for that thing to appear. They do and... this thing in the scene, too, with the music uh, where you you can hear what they're piping into the store before she plugs in the Walkman. Yeah. And it's not very loud. But then she plugs in the Walkman and suddenly you're listening to the song and it's super loud and they're both dancing. And then I feel like it gets quiet again. Like they, they just pump it up for the for the effect of like the moment that they're having. But do you like it wasn't actually that loud, right? Is that what we're taking away from that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it's designed to show their just kind of total immersion in the moment. And it is a nice moment. And they do yeah. they do kiss and talk about, okay, I'm not going to go to Atlanta with the fireflies and we'll just figure it all out. And the whole future is open to us. Potential, nothing but unlimited potential. And then the clicker arrives. And this bastard is fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she shoots him once or twice. They get down off of the countertop, and but it it's on them. It's on top of them so quickly. Uh, and we we saw how fast they were moving in the first episode when they were runners. But this is a clicker, and technically, technically, or no, that's the wrong word. But usually in the game, at least, clickers are more measured in their pace. He's he's on top of them, and uh, it, a, a brief fight ensues you don't see either of them get bit it's kind of the carl grimes effect yeah but um as the euphoria wears off with uh, ellie putting her knife in the thing's head they are both bitten and then they have to make some choices um ha as you're watching this are you do you do you feel like this is the inevitable conclusion what were you expecting to come out of this Oh, that's exactly what I was expecting to come out of it. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if they were both going to get bitten or just Ellie. I mean, obviously, we know she was bitten and she said she was in a mall. And the way she reacted when Joel was asking and Joel and Tess were asking her about it, she said she was alone. So she lied to Tess. That was like when they were walking through Boston. Right. Um, but, you know, you knew that they were come back to the mall scene eventually. I wasn't sure if um, she got bitten and then possibly Riley was going to try to offer or something like that. And then that was like kind of like all this build up and then Riley tries to kill her. So it did end in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, but I also thought that they might tie in, um, you know, the fireflies to this, like how Ellie ended up in that room um, being tied up and sort of them waiting to see what happened to her. But that's not what happened. Um, yeah. The lack so of resolution to this is, is a similar thread to how they do it in the dlc which is interesting to me like they don't show you how it ends right um, um but, but they do can... i mean this is obviously tied into what's going on with joel and then yeah. i thought that that tied in really well because she's flashing back to this thing and she's like okay well joel may be on the way out but i'm not gonna leave him hit there and i'm gonna absolutely like help try to help him and if not well that's what it is and we'll just make the best of it or make the best of it i'm not just gonna leave him there to die um though i will say i don't know that sewing that up would actually help <laughs> but it seems pretty painful <laughs> what, depends on the organ damage i guess i guess i mean just find some super glue and or some duct tape i think that would have been better but <sighs> i did think i did think that um the zombie attack here 
you're right, Stuart, that it came out really fast, but I thought that it was actually kind of one of the worst zombie attacks that we've seen in the show so far, where, like, I I don't know, this is the only one that I saw where the the lead up to it was really kind of lame, like they just kind of like heard a thump and, and I, I don't know, something about the whole way it was staged just didn't quite land for me and i also thought the makeup here did not look very good the the um zombie for the first time in the show so far really looked like just a dude in a bunch of you know clay makeup so uh, maybe that's just me or maybe it was because i was expecting this attack to come for such a long part of the show Mm. um but uh of the episode but i i thought that it was a weaker uh showing for the zombies it just didn't scare me the way that the that the other ones did don't think that i was seeing the wires but i do agree that the anticipation was maybe a tad okay. too long um and and so back in in joel's uh situation she like finds that needle and thread yeah sews him up and then in the video game you see her like start to tow him out on a mattress um, back out into the snow in this one i don't think we even get to see what happens like the sewing is the last thing we see um and so or, you know, hopefully he'll be he'll get better. I assume he will, because, again, in the this this guy, you could basically also in the video game, he fell off of a, like a second story onto a piece of rebar. So and he was fine. So, you guys, he's going to be fine. Um, he's basically going to be fine. <laughs> Just a little baseball bat handle. Nothing, nothing you can't shake off. Uh, I mean, as 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 fragile as they've occasionally been making him out to be, it'll be interesting to see how badly he's going to be affected by this. I feel like when you wake up as Joel in the game, you kind of you stand up, you limp for, I don't know, 30 seconds, and then you are straight back to being an unstoppable killing machine. So yeah, I feel like we need an MD to weigh on to weigh in on what's right there. Like I'm like, there's probably some intestines, maybe a kidney, guts for sure. But right? Also, guts for but sure. also like the the bacteria. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 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 Let's find him some antibiotics. Or Although something. that 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 bat just broke, so that it didn't have very long to get you know exposed to the air or anything before it plunged into his gut. It wasn't like the guy was carrying around a broken bat, you know. Right, you know, but his hands are dirty too. His, his hands probably hadn't been washed lately. Uh, next episode, we we get to see, uh, or you know, in the preview, more baddies. I think is what we can anticipate. Um, some pretty iconic scenery we see in the preview. So, um, wow, let's buckle up and get ready for episode eight. After episode eight, there's only one more episode, you guys. Dang! Holy, holy crap! So, uh, there's when we are in need. Is episode eight that airs on March airs this weekend, and then the following weekend will be the final episode of the first season, which is a huge bummer. Do you think they're going to get through the whole game? Are we that close to the end of the game? Ah, well, yes, I think we can. Okay. When I think of story beats, I think we can. Um, it'll be. It might be. It might be tight. But these episodes have been an hour long and, uh, you know, like they basically fit the university and the damn storyline into into Kin, uh, which I was playing that shit for hours. So, um, yeah. Are you ready for this ride to end, H.A.? Um, I I want to see where it goes um, and I've been really enjoying it. So not quite ready for it to end, but I I like everything that they've been doing. And so. Hopefully it wraps up in a pretty cool way. So I'm, I'm, 
I I would love to see more. So hopefully they'll get a second season out. <laughs> oh, it's already been approved or yeah. uh, green so, for sure. It's coming. No, I mean they'll just get it out soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, they probably can't film in Alberta in March. I imagine they have to probably wait a month not. or two. Uh, so thanks for listening along, everybody. Uh, we'll be back again next week. We'll probably only be able to do one episode because it'll only be one to talk about. But uh, we got to, we caught up on our backlog the last two weeks. Um, so uh, hit us up on uh, email. You can email us at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find all of our issues. Issues? All of our, so many of our issues are, have been so many issues. <laughs> on reanimated.podbean.com. And we uh, we will talk to you on Twitter as long as that is uh, still a website at Reanimated PCAST. So thank you for joining us. I'm Stuart and I'm saying peace out. Ciao. See you.